We're in a series of episodes right now from the Studebaker Talks, an event we held last fall in collaboration with South Bend City Church to listen to stories about South Bend's people, ingenuity, and progress. And it was a really special night. It was held at City Church's location, which happens to be a former Studebaker factory floor. We had seven speakers, a sold-out crowd of 250 people, and we raised nearly $3,000 for the South Bend Education Foundation. In case you haven't heard, we're doing it again. So save the date, October 7th, 2022, this year, back at Studebaker Building 112. Speaker submissions will be open during the month of May, and early bird tickets will be available sometime this summer. Today, we're hearing from Andrea Kramer, the founder of Neighbor to Neighbor, a friendship-based network cultivating mutual relationships among the South Bend area's refugee, immigrant, and non-immigrant communities. Enjoy. Thanks, fellow. (laughs) Well, growing up in northern Indiana farm country as a 4-H'er and little league kid, I never would have thought that one day I would partner with the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, and sue the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. Welcome to the Studebaker Talks. I am the first of seven. (laughs) Buckle up. Um, I had a charmed childhood. Um, I can't really remember much struggle. And all the people I knew and the friends that I had had similar experiences and backgrounds as me. Really, I grew up in about a five to ten mile radius of cornfields and bliss. So how did I go from this admittedly sheltered person to someone who is politically engaged and cares deeply about advocacy? Well, to bridge this unlikely gap, we need to go back about seven years ago when my spouse and I moved to Texas with our two young children. When we moved to Texas, it was August of the hottest, driest summer on record. If you're thinking maybe we had bad timing, you would not be wrong. Um, It was just a cross-country move, but really, there was so much different. There was a different climate. Some of the culture was different. Even some of the lingo was different. And for the first time in my life, I really felt like a stranger in a strange place. And it wasn't until I met and befriended a fellow Midwesterner that I really started to feel at home because this friend took me under her wing and she taught me some different tips and tricks, such as when you're going to the grocery store, make sure you have a cooler in your trunk. So when you buy ice cream and when you get home, you still have ice cream. Um, She warned me about fire ants, which was no small warning. Every year, inevitably, I would get one bite on my foot, and my foot would double in size um, for weeks. It was so painful. Um, So she really took me in and made me feel welcome in a new place. At the same time, my oldest was four years old, and one day he came across a magazine we had laying around the house. And inside the magazine were profile pictures of Afghan refugee children. This is one of those pictures. 
by photographer Muhammad Muhessen, um, and he's an award-winning photographer. And you can see how just this one face really draws you in. It's captivating. And as he looked at the picture, he started asking me questions. Who are these kids? What is a refugee? How do people become refugees? And what can we do to help? Well, if you know me at all, you will not be surprised when I tell you that I wept. Um, and we began praying together for these children and displaced people around the world. A couple months after this, um, we started really hearing in the news about the influx of folks from the Northern Triangle coming to our borders to seek asylum. And so we called up Catholic Charities that was doing really good, important work in McAllen, Texas. Um, they were processing anywhere from about 200 to 400 people a day at just their facility. And so we called them and asked if it would be appropriate and helpful if a small young family came down to volunteer for a long weekend. They said that would be great. So we loaded up our van full of donations and drove the six hours to the border and spent a weekend there. Um, and this was our first experience of face-to-face -face interaction with really new arrivals. This kind of spurred our kids on to start doing child-led fundraisers. So they made cards and they painted t-shirts and sold them and then donated all the proceeds to local resettlement agencies. And all the while, I started educating myself. Um, this is something that we all have the power to do, is to educate ourselves, right? So I started looking up um, what the current crises were around the world. What is human migration? What are push and pull causes? And this, all of these experiences helps me to discover that this is what I really wanted to spend my life doing, was to work with displaced people and helping them feel welcome um, if and when they come to the United States. So at the end of 2017, I founded Neighbor to Neighbor, which is a local grassroots organization that supports um, refugees, asylum seekers, and immigrants to integrate them into our community. And we do that through relationships, advocacy, and education. Now, one of my very first friends um, that I met during um, our young nonprofit life um, was a 50-something-year-old woman from Lebanon. And we became fast friends. Um, we would meet in her apartment and drink Turkish coffee. Um, we would swap recipes and show each other our knitting projects. Um, it, was, it was a great friendship. And eventually, she asked if I could help tutor her in English to supplement the English classes that she was taking. So about once a month, we started doing this. I started tutoring her in English. And then she asked if I could help her study for the knowledge exam for the BMV. Now, most of us in here are familiar with this test. Um, it's more of a riddle than anything else. Um, it has questions on it like, uh, how many feet does it take a semi-truck to stop if it's traveling 50 miles an hour? So, you know, just like really basic intuitive questions that we all just know. Um, 
So she asked if I could help her study for this test because she had taken it almost a dozen times and hadn't passed. So this started me asking, what are the barriers that my friends are facing? And in this case, um, one of the barriers was language proficiency. Um, it was really keeping my friend from being fully integrated into the community. Another was transportation, uh, which created much isolation and a lack of independence and dignity for my friend, especially because she had been driving for years back home, but because of this test, she wasn't allowed the same kind of freedom. And because of systemic barriers, these two things were actually linked. Because in Indiana, the knowledge exam for the BMV is actually offered in 14 languages. But the manual to study for this test was only in English. We quickly realized that we could spend hundreds of hours teaching each individual driver's manual English or we could start to work upstream. So the work of welcome is not just meeting a newcomer at the airport when they first arrive. The work of welcome is not just helping to furnish an apartment for a new family. The work of welcome isn't even just establishing a meaningful, lifelong friendship with somebody. The work of welcome really necessitates that we begin to learn and listen to the experiences of someone, learn and listen to the barriers that they experience, and then be willing to take on systems that are unjust. So I emailed the ACLU and explained the situation that my friend was in, along with countless others in our community and throughout the state. And they agreed that we had a case based on the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So on a snowy February morning, I carefully drove to Indianapolis for a three-hour deposition, which included my lawyer from the ACLU, three state attorneys, and a stenographer, all sitting at a long conference room table. In the end, they came to a settlement agreement with us, and they now have translated the manual into five additional languages, Arabic, Burmese, Chin, Mandarin, and Spanish. Here's the cover of the manual. Um, you'll notice that Spanish, oh no, it is up there, never mind. There's one missing, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, and this positively affects thousands of Hoosiers annually. And my dear friend passed her knowledge exam and subsequently her physical driving test, and she is now happily driving around our community, fully embracing her independence. This is what I want us to consider. That no friendship is apolitical. No friendship is apolitical. You might think, oh, hang on now, I just really don't like being involved in politics. Politics are just so divisive. Um, this advocacy thing is kind of scary. I don't really like getting involved in protests and things like this. 
If we are operating from this kind of mindset, we're actually operating from a place of privilege. Because there are so many who do not have the option to be apolitical, because their very lives and livelihoods are at stake. The asylum seeker from Uganda, who because of cruel policies, has to wait 365 days after they file for asylum before they can file for a work permit, and then wait the four to nine months for that work permit to be processed, does not have the option to be apolitical. The lawful permanent resident from Rwanda, who was asked to come to the United States on a diversity immigrant visa program, who because of policies in Indiana cannot apply for Medicaid, even though they are working and some of their taxes go to pay for the program and they fit in the income bracket, they're not allowed to access the program. This person does not have the option to be apolitical. The parents and kids who are stripped from each other's arms at the very hands of our government are begging and waiting for us to be political. You see, it wasn't enough for me to just visit my friend and get to know about her and get to know about her family and then go about my life. It is not enough for us to be woke. We have to keep watch. And not because I know everything and I know um, the best way or because I'm some little savior or that we're policing the world but because we are listening to our friends' experiences and we're willing to stand in solidarity with them. So I'm so thankful to my kids who had enough courage and empathy and creativity to pull me out of my monolithic mindset. And I invite us to take stock of our friendships. Whose voices are we listening to Whose experiences are we weighing? If they're only like ours, then something's wrong. And if you're wondering how to change that, um, a couple quick things. Um, one, you can buy books from the Brain Layer bookstore. Um, <laughs> right? <laughs> Kathy Burnett is up next, so she'll appreciate that. Um, Two, at Neighbor to Neighbor, we're actually having a workshop for community members next month on immigration law and policy. So what, what is it really? What are the experiences of aspiring Americans? What process do they actually have to go through? So I invite you to, when you see that event come up, to register for that event. But once we start to listen to other voices and learn from other people's experiences, then what do we do, right? Hopefully as we begin to understand um, our friends' barriers, um, that's something that you will want to get involved in. And thankfully, in our community, there are so many great organizations and programs and chances are there's probably somebody doing the work on the issue that you're um, learning about and interested in. So get involved with them. 
Give of your time and your talents and your treasures. I would be remiss if I didn't say at Neighbor to Neighbor, we're needing to really hire about three to five more staff people, and that takes capital. Um, so invest in the organizations that are here. And finally, may we just not be afraid to be political. And when we engage, let's not engage just from our own self-interests, but let's keep in mind the experiences of our neighbors so that our community can continue to be a safe and welcoming place for all. Thank you.